Welcome to Playing Full Out. I'm your host, Augie Bylot, and this is where we explore success, fulfillment, and the power of purpose. Each week, we visit with interesting people who not only make money, but make a difference. This is where we spread the good news about enlightened wealth. That's success that serves others. And this week's special guest is my good friend, Glenn Mather. Hi, Glenn, how are you? Hey, Augie, great to be with you today. Why don't you share a little bit of your background and, and how your business got started? Yeah, sure. I, you know, I've, as you can tell by my gray hair, I've had a long journey. <laughs> yeah, well, likewise. Yeah, but what I'm doing, what I'm doing today, kind of had its seed back, oh, maybe 25 years ago. I had just left Lockheed Missiles and Space Company out in the West Coast, and worked there 13 years. And like a lot of people, had put money in my my 401k plan. And uh, when I came out, I rolled it over to Charles Schwab because that's what everybody in the Bay Area was doing. This was sort of in the hot years of Apple and Microsoft and all these startup companies. And uh, so it was great. I got to invest in what I, what I thought was gonna go up and I realized after a few losses that that really wasn't my game. I was traveling and working as a consultant and uh, saw or read something, I don't remember where the article was, but uh, that I could actually use my IRA uniquely with alternative investments like real estate. And I always loved real estate because the fact was, I think that the common man has a chance, has a has far higher capability than they'd ever know because they're never taught. And uh, I certainly was never taught about stocks and bonds. And if you're usually taught, you're taught by someone who has greater knowledge and that uses it against you to a certain degree. And um, so I had, I bought my first piece of real estate inside a self-directed IRA through a local bank. And I talked them into doing it through their trust support. Interesting enough, Augie, I wasn't really wealthy enough to be deserve, deserving to be in their trust department. But they did it as a favor to me because they had done business with my company that I was part of. So um, I bought my first piece of real estate with my IRA um, back about 25 years ago in a seaside community in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, I, my work continued on different things, different ventures. I started a venture, it failed. I went into strategy consulting and I did that until 9-11 happened. And we couldn't fly anymore. And when you're a strategist that can't get in front of clients, the business tends to go away and the company I was working for, you know, um, had to close down. I remember those days. Yeah, and uh, it, people don't remember those days that, that really all flights shut down for about three to four months. Mm -hmm. the, we, we, I was living and working in Chicago at the time. It was very strange to walk out your backyard and not hear the jets go by because that's ambient noise we get used to. And when it's completely quiet, it was a strange time. But it was a very disquieting time for me and my family to figure out what we're going to do. We moved to Florida and I read the Wall Street Journal and learned about the fact that actually let you do what I was doing in my IRA. There's actually companies to serve that. I contacted one of the principals that was uh, mentioned in the Wall Street Journal article and boldly told him that I was, in, I was in Florida, his company was in California, and I'd like to open an office of his. Um, you understand my knowledge consisted of one account that was being run by a bank. With one transaction. Yeah, but I was so convicted that other people would be part of that tribe that also mm -hmm. wanted to feel like they could take control 
and feel like their chances or their odds were better to save for retirement in a different vehicle. And I always felt that about it. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe that God gave me the strength and the courage to make that phone call. But uh, three weeks or three months later, I started my business, which is now New View Trust. And I did find out that, that other people want to do that. So uh, it, it's interesting because my world headquarters is across the street from your world headquarters. And although we're talking on the phone, we probably are only about 200 yards apart. That's true. Uh, and so we started here in Longwood, Florida, and through God's mercy and grace, we've grown it up to, we're almost to $1.4 billion of self-directed assets where our clients have taken their money and said, I want to bet on myself. I want to learn about this myself, and I want to completely control my future. And so it's so much fun to be part of that group every day. Sure. Now, I, I know a lot of your story. You and I are personal friends. And I was probably one of your earlier clients back in 2003 when you formed NewView. Well, actually, you were not even NewView yet. But um, what do you think is among the larger factors that helped you to be successful? I mean, growing a company to you know, $1.4 billion is no small feat. You know, I, I think it's... I think it's work ethic to a certain degree, and I learned that in seventh and eighth grade. Um, my brother and sister were going to this school in, in Dayton, Tennessee, up in the hills. My mother thought this was important. She was a single mom. My, my dad left when I was three, and my brother and sister were five and six. So we found this school that she could be registrar in, and that it basically you were educated year-round. Um, you went to school for the first four hours a day, and then you worked your way through school on the next four hours. So it was a self-supporting school. And I was this little pipsqueak, seven-year-old, or seventh grader, and I was having to work alongside the high schoolers. So I had to keep up with them. And that didn't matter, they weren't gonna wait for me. So I was driving the tractor and cutting, or using the uh, chainsaw, doing all the stuff that probably you shouldn't do in seventh grade. But it taught me a couple things, Augie. First of all, it taught me to work hard, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, it taught me to respect the people that do that for a living, that still do it all around me, that grow my food, that cut my grass, that dig my big ditches. The third thing it taught me is I didn't want to do that for a living. So I knew, I knew I had to get focused and disciplined. So working hard is, is um, not too difficult for me. Um, and the other part was is to surround myself with people brighter than myself. And obviously, that's why I'm on the podcast with you, Augie. But, but I think it's a pretty good rule to, to, to follow. And then the third thing is, is try to bring somebody else up. God gives us two arms, one to be mentored and lifted up, and the other one to bring somebody along with you. And uh, so when I started the business, um, I think I'm a little higher risk tolerant than most. So I sold my house. I, I, I basically liquidated everything, put, got in a little rental to start the business because I was so convicted that this is what people would want to do. So I think it, it, it got to that point. I could learn about how to run the business. I couldn't find sort of a better thing that I could throw, not just my head in, but my heart in also. And I think that's what's made it successful. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously you've experienced some challenges along the way. And, you know, what, you know, has helped you meet those challenges and, you know, not get frustrated and throw your hands up and say, I give up. 
Oh my goodness. I, there's been times I've had trouble getting out of bed. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, when I left Lockheed, I started a business and uh, we raised $5 million from friends and special cellular back in the days when you used to have to pay a dollar, a dollar 50 a minute. Mm -hmm. And we started a special use phone that you could keep in your trunk for and, and AARP, which is, which now still send me a lot of information only because of my age though. And, uh, but what's really interesting is, is that, you know, when that failed, I think that was the lowest point. Married, I had two children. How was I going to support myself? I'd left a great business. Lockheed to go start this. I think I felt a bit like the, you know, children of Israel that were grumbling, you know, after they went through the Red Sea and they got over there and they were grumbling about the manna and they're going, we had better food back in Egypt. Maybe we should do a U-turn. I think there's a tendency for all of us to go through that sort of wilderness experience out the other side. So I think all of that was preparing that, that big disappointment and, and, and God had different plans for me. They're not revealed at, at first because God likes you to be humble. And I was humble. You know, I, I was this big, big shot guy at Lockheed and then I was starting out this business and, you know, it was really good. And I realized that, that if I have my ego tied all around that, it's, it's all around the wrong. It's it's pointing in the wrong. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of learn that process. I started this business at age forty-seven. So um, you know, and I met a lot of entrepreneurs that started much later. And I I do believe that we we always think of startups as being the place where you drop out of school in your twenty twenty-one. You go in a garage. But not everyone's beginning is like Bill Gates. Um, there's a lot of us that that have to be sort of hammered out in the fire and be tested and fail yeah. back up and fail and get back up and then reach out to God and his wisdom and become a lot more reliant on him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that was the case for me. What would you say is the hardest decision you've ever had to make as a businessman? Well, I mean, I don't know how much detail you want on this. I, I think that um, for me, the the hardest business decision is, is we had another office in Chicago and I had a partner in that office in Chicago and I had to decide whether I wanted to be a buyer, buy him out or sell out my portion to him. And I decided to sell and that was the hardest thing. And I'm still not at peace with that right now. Mm -hmm. It, and that was seven years ago. Um, I mean, economically, it would probably have been better if I hadn't. But I sold because my son was who um, had kidney failure, and he had underwent a, a kidney transplant. He was really, it was really dicey, and I didn't want to be on a plane in Chicago all the time to do that. So I guess it's pretty unfair of me to to consider that 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 I still have misgivings about it because I think it still was the right thing to do. Sometimes the right thing to do is not all about the economic consequences of doing that. And I think this decision is probably, if I really think about it, it was the best decision, wherever it falls economically. It was best decision for me. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And there are lots of times we have to make decisions and money is not the key thing. So many people it, think, but you know, what's, so what's the most financially prudent action to take? And there are things that are more valuable than money. And society doesn't really teach you that, does it? I mean, no, I, it doesn't. But life sure it does. No, it goes against. It goes against what's kind of 
been put into you. So you have to have some countervailing um, influences. And, and you're one of those influences in my life, Augie, which I'm very, very grateful for, because you don't look at life the same way as the, the world typically looks at their life. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Glenn. Um, what would you say has been your greatest learning to date? I think it's having all the employees I have. Um, you know, we, we tend to, and I have many young people, probably 60% of my employees are under 30. Mm -hmm. And we might have nieces and nephews who might have grandchildren or children. But those are just a small select group that are somewhat influenced by you and other things. When you have 50 people or 40 people that are outside of any of your influence from all walks of life, it's a better reflection of society as a whole. And it's, it's actually taught me at this generation, this younger generation, in ways that we tend as older people to kind of, you know, compartmentalize and say, well, they don't have energy focus. They, they're on social media all the time. They don't have this and they don't have that. You know, at the very beginning of our, of our podcast together, while we're getting the electronics all together, I had one of those, you know, 27-year-old people come in, come in my room and I will tell you something. They got to it. They got it done so much faster than even a technically expert person of our age would do. I mean, it's just a matter. And, and then, of course, when I thank them, they always respond the same way. They don't say, you're welcome. That's what we're used to. You know what they say? No problem. No problem. <laughs> but it's, it's a different language. It's different music. Um, but they share many of the same desires that we have. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes we stereotype and compartmentalize people into a box that makes us feel more comfortable as we're being judgmental. So it's taught me to kind of break down that box and see the similarities and the promise of that generation rather than just carp and complain about it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great reflection of wisdom, Glenn. It truly is. And it's not something that you get in 20 minutes or 20 years or 30 years. It's something that learning to respect others, regardless of who they are, I think is a, is a really powerful learning. And I think it's one that lots of us miss on occasion. Uh, do you have a role model? Oh my God. Role models or people that inspire you? Well, I do. And I, I think there's bits and pieces. I, I think only because we're all kind of flawed. Yeah. So if you, if you really get to know somebody, um, you tend to like them for different reasons. I, I'm a member of a CEO group here in Orlando of, of business owners. And that's been a real inspiration to me about how they deal with problems inside their organization. John Crossman is part of that. John Crossman, um, he just actually left his, the company that he founded and worked with for 25 years. And I always think that he has the ability to, to really be thoughtful in your question. Many times in communications, we just answer quickly. Mm -hmm. Impresses me about John and people like John, I've met several people like them, he will actually not respond to your question for about a minute because then you realize he's bringing back up the best possible response. And I said, how powerful is that? Because number one, I'm being listened to, but number two, I'm getting all his wisdom, not just his reactions. Mm -hmm. And so 
much of our life is reacting to somebody and it's entertaining and it's kind of fun and uh, it might be a quick joke, but to really feel like you're being listened to and you're being honored, I realize that how powerful that is for me. Maybe I ought to be doing more of that and then just speaking off the cuff, being more better prepared for the moment. And I feel like as a CEO, he's always well prepared for the moment. So I think in that, in that part, um, in, in being patient, I have other people that I know that are far more patient than me. And I always, I, I think we hold on to sometimes of our bad habits by justifying how good they are, right? I should mm -hmm. be a CEO with a sense of urgency. That's positive. How could you say, oh, I just want to sit back and relax. But patience and endurance is something that's biblical. It tells, that's one of the things that that God really wants to promote in us as, as, our fee, as his feeble servants. And so I can't keep holding on to this and justify it. I mean, one of the biggest sins that Moses had was what? Being impatient. Yeah. That actually kept him out of the promised land because he was impatient. So I have to remember that and um, surround myself with not just people that are like me, because there's a tendency to want to do that. Sure. But for people that say, Glenn, calm down a minute. You need to take your time on this. You're rushing it. Mm -hmm. Just relax. Yeah, I think that's a great thing that you bring up relative to John, because you know that's a perfect example of listening for the purpose of understanding rather than listening for the purpose of responding. You know, it's understanding before we start to regurgitate whatever we want to serve up. No, that, that's some, some really good wisdom. Um, if you were to give some advice to a new entrepreneur, doesn't matter age, just someone who's not been an entrepreneur before, what might you share with them that would be encouraging? I hate giving advice, Augie. I mean, that puts me in the seat of like knowing more than other people. And I No, it, it, it's more a matter of you've been through some of the fire and come out forged stronger than you went in. There's no doubt in my mind you will face more fire sometime in life and you will come out yet stronger again. Yeah, I, I, if I look back at, at least in, in uh, developing New View Trust, um, I think your first real friend needs to be Excel spreadsheet, without a doubt. Because when I started this company, um, I didn't know much about self-direction. Um, I certainly didn't know about the business do you charge? How long will I have my clients? How am I going to sell this? Who is my target? What's my overall market size? You know, you, you generally should start with that. And I had 77 variables in my spreadsheet, 77 things I had to figure out about the market that I felt were important. And um, this was back in 2002, 2003 that I was doing this research. And um, although you had search engines, they were feeble compared to what they are today. Sure. Um, and the amount of data, you know, wasn't really all electronic, but um, I struggled and I spent, like I, I said earlier, about three months um, before uh, I started the business because I was going about to invest all my, all my family's money in that. I know I could go get another job. So I think one of the best things you have is a worst case scenario, which is, well, you just go back to work for somebody else. And some of us get so so um, reluctant to leave what you have and to take and to go do something better. You've got to always measure that. You can come back to where you were 
but you can advance by staying where you are. So um, I spent all this time, I probably had about 50 of the 77 variables within 10% accuracy. And I said, there's a business here. There's, there's a promise of that. So that was number one is you really not need to know your market as best you can and go find out. People will tell you all sorts of stuff. You just call them up and you just say, hey, I'm doing some research. You'd be surprised on how much information that is not on the web that you can get. The second thing was what really, what really um, was you have to hire your weakness. So going this alone for a long period of time, I don't think God created us to be loners. I mean, there's certain businesses that, that I suppose is just you and you alone, but almost every business needs someone to market. You either need strength in marketing and sales, mm -hmm. or you need operations and delivery, right? Those are like, if you put those two things together, yeah, there's a whole lot more about running a business, but when it's just you, who are you gonna hire next? Mm -hmm. So I found Randy at Publix. Randy uh, counted money in the back of Publix and um, was job is to, is to make sure that all the drawers balanced at the end of the night. He was sort of the adult in the room, but he was only about 21 years old. He was, um, he had taken a break from school at UCF, hadn't finished his degree, was earning about $7 an hour. And so I met him through my wife, who's a nurse, and he, she knew his, his mother. So I invited him in to be part of the business. And I said, I can't pay you. What a great invitation that was, Augie. Can't pay you, but come be part of the business. And when I laid out where the business was going, he was excited. Because one thing that I understand that the entrepreneur can do is they need a vision. They need to understand where it's going to go. And not just how I'm going to make money from this, but where is it going to go? Because most people labor in life without a vision. And they're looking, they're looking to hook on to somebody else's. So I painted a vision for him. He came, he left, he wasn't sure. And after about three months, he decided I'm going to stay. Um, after six months, he was able to start earning a living. And then, uh, you know, $2 more an hour than he was making at Publix. And then, uh, and then from there, um, we just soared. And so he, he took all the back office. He loved process and procedure. And if you know me, I'm not a big person. I know the need for it, but mm -hmm. I'm not sold on that. I need to go out there and talk to the people about this and, and develop them. So I was in the car with a few files in the trunk, running up and down all around Florida, building the business while Randy was back taking phone calls and opening accounts and taking care of process and procedure. So we really started the company with the two people. So just to summarize spreadsheet and really understand your market, all that kind of stuff you understand about building a business plan is true and relevant, but your business plan really just needs to be, it honestly needs to be a pro forma for five years on your business, month by month or quarter by quarter, and then find somebody so that you're not doing this alone. It may be, and for me, I was 47, so it was great to bring in someone 21 because then you have someone much younger. You don't wanna hang around people just our age, because right. you want this to continue on long after you might not have the energy to, to, to come in every day. So that's kind of neat. So I built my company with very much younger people in it, uh, but young people that want to grow. Excellent. Well, that's, that's great advice. See, so you do have some advice you can share that's valuable. Uh, every now and then. Every now and then. Okay, you're too humble. If you could start over again, is there anything you might do differently? You know, just let's, let's just, you know, bring it into the new view experience. 
Well, I mean, now it's successful. I wish I'd been more aggressive younger, you know, when, uh, you know, you're careful, right? Because you're careful. You don't want to slide backwards. So our business is really strange in that. And uh, you understand I had had it up. I started in 2003 and you understand what happened in 2006 and 2007. Yeah. So we're young and all of a sudden everybody gets their financial teeth kicked in through the recession. People were losing their jobs. Um, in Florida, we were hit expressly hard because we have so many second homes. The first thing you jettison when you have money problems is that vacation home. Sure. That are down near um, uh, Disney and stuff, their prices dropped probably another third from where the Orlando prices did. And, and at that point in time, we were pretty much Florida-based. Um, so the good news that I learned about my business is we're anti-cyclical which means when the stock market goes down, everyone wants to run to alternative investments. They finally see the light and they want to get into all these. So that's what really helped our business. If I had to do it over again, I'd go national sooner. Mm -hmm. We were reaching now national. I would have put more money in and gone national. But understand that would have been a higher risk. It would have been very hard for me to get more money because I hadn't proven my, my model yet in any kind of large financial way. So, I, but, but if I look back, it's kind of like looking back and would you have invested in Tesla earlier and Apple earlier? It kind of goes into that process. Yes, yes, yes. The answer is yes. And as to an entrepreneur, you always kind of say, well, I wasn't entrepreneurial enough. You know, I was, I wasn't, I, I was too risk averse when I should have been a little more bold. But I remember my failures in the past and that's probably what held me back. Well, you've done an amazing job and you've got a great team. Your, your leadership team, you know, we were just chatting about it yesterday. And, you know, these are people that are truly committed. And I, I think, you know, you're, you're building your business in a, in a really solid way. Um, now, taking it away from the business side, you know, I know you play full out in your business. How do you play full out in your life? You know, this is the playing full out podcast here. So what other kinds of things do you do that? empower your well, you to play full out i'm not sure you know I, I'm, I'm thinking about that and so i you know i'm thinking you know do i go climb fourteen thousand foot mountains am i you know is that my passion right mm -hmm. playing requires passion i find i find at this point in life is number one i have no intention of slowing down none of that's but i look at you know, people say, oh, you're playing the back nine, you know, in your life, right? Or your runway is getting shorter. And certainly as an age thing, it is. But as long as God's given me the strength to operate, I operate the same as I did at 24, a little bit more wisdom, perhaps. But I get to do all the same things. As you get older, you might accumulate a few more toys in the garage. So I've done that. So I have motorcycles, I have jet skis. And now I don't really find enough time to go so i'm not obsessed about any of them Augie. you know i i go out and have a lot of fun with it um i think that that my passion is is keeping moving and doing unique things i love to travel you know some of the things that i'm sure we'll get into a little bit later that you and i have some experiences you and i have shared um but i see a lot of people that get sucked into golf for example and they want to be the best golfer and that takes hours upon days and weeks and months mm -hmm. I still have a 14 year old at home and I have a, a wonderful wife of 30 years 
So I don't want to continue. I take a lot, a lot of time away from her when I have to travel for business or I'm at, uh, at the business. I don't want to take my passions should not be taking me away for full days away from my, I try to look for things that I can incorporate my passions and their passions together and be with them a bit more than, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, plan full out. I sign me up. That's what I like to do. Well, that kind of leads me into, you know, one of the, one of your extracurricular activities, which I've had the opportunity to get involved with and certainly get involved you know, your, your kids, your wife, you know, I've, I've gotten to know, I think the majority of your family at this point, and we've even traveled together to various points around the globe. And that's, you know, the work that you do with, you know, New Views Charity, which is Chair the Love. And you've done an amazing job. And now Jason as well, you know, who is now the, uh, the head honcho at Chair the Love, but providing the gift of mobility, domestically and internationally. I mean, I think that's an example of you playing full out at a whole different level. It's different. I mean, being part of a charity and running a charity, I, oh my goodness, Augie, that, that, that goes to making a profit and being a capitalist, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, I, I got involved with, um, giving away wheelchairs and, and that sort of thing back about 11, 12 years ago, I was invited um, on a delivery to Mexico City and by the, by the individual who, who founded the Wheelchair Foundation. And although being on his private plane was a huge treat, I had never been on a plane like that before, what was really impactful were the people that I saw lined up for 280 chairs. Yep. And so that really got to me because, you know, learning more and more about this charity, about how a chair changes people's lives. And we, we always think of, you know, the person sitting in the chair, but the caregivers, the family, the community is all lifted up in an instant, which I kind of like that, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a little impatient. So while, while uh, trying to find the cure for cancer is extremely noble and necessary, I like the wheelchairs because I could see the lives changed in front of me. So I couldn't wait to get back to the office because my mind was thinking, okay, how can we make, you know, how can we introduce more people to this and how can we be part of it? So I, you know, we, so we, I got a couple other people involved and then um, we started doing runs and walks and, you know, fun things and, first responder games and all this kind of stuff. Golf never really hit the right note. I'd raised $10,000. A container load, by the way, uh, is $42,000. And I always had my eye on a container load. Mm -hmm. um, could never quite get there. Um, I started giving more as a company, which I appreciated as we grew. I, it gave me more capacity to give. But it kind of took me in another direction here, which was as I built the company, I realized that um, these wonderful young people had never been really introduced to charitable giving, being involved. And I, so along with the, the, uh, the wheelchair efforts, I wanted to involve them. So it's one of our core values in our company, which is service to others. So we started looking at other things, including wheelchairs, but other things that they could get involved in. And I'll get more into that later. But um, it was only about three or four years ago that it, we hit on the idea of an annual gala for this to raise money. And um, that's really taken off. 
And by, you know, by, and I, I want to hear your story from your perspective about how this has touched you, because I invited you to go on a distribution really before you were very active in it at all. Because mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know what your back, how much you had been involved in stuff, but not much. And so because I have the opportunity to speak a lot in what I do and, and, and even I'm, I'm less on stage more than a lot of my friends are, um, I would invite people like yourself to go on distributions and it, cause I, my hope was it was going to unlock your heart in the same way. And because you're so influential, uh, people follow you and rightfully so for all your good advice and counsel and lot in their business and creating wealth that I knew you always had a heart for the charitable side too. And so this has really grown. We created our own charity called Chair the Love, uh, uh, a, probably a, a, a cute pun, but it, it kind of tells people that, that this is really what our love is. We do things locally, so we help local schools and hospitals, um, but we also go overseas. The need's greater overseas, and we do distribution trips there. So it's been, it's been my way of really introducing my family to the joy of giving too, and introducing lots of other families to to be involved as well. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey, and you know, I, I was always happy to write you a check. And the first one was back in two thousand nine, but okay. it really uh, started getting serious four or five years ago when, at my events, you know, we decided we would have a beneficiary, and then you finally at one of those galas got me hooked into a trip and I did go and it did, it, it unlocked my heart. That's a really good way to, you know, position it because, you know, I was happy to help, you know, I think most people are happy to help with things, but they don't necessarily catch fire. But when you lift somebody up who doesn't have the gift of mobility and you place them in a chair and you kneel down and put their feet in the footrest and you look at them eye to eye, it is a very moving experience. And, um, you know, as you know, my wife and I, Audrey, we just got back from the Philippines. And it was an unbelievable experience. And we delivered a container load of wheelchairs. And so, you know, as a result of you and I you know, knocking heads together or working arm in arm, you know, the Container Club was born. And so, you know, you're committed, I'm committed. We have a couple of other folks that are committed to raising the funds to provide one container load of wheelchairs a year. That's $42,000. And we're hoping that more people will come and join the party because through the, the efforts of the Wheelchair Foundation, you know, with whom we affiliate, you know, 1.2 million wheelchairs have been given away over the last 20 years across the globe. And we'd like to definitely double that in, the next 10 or less. So we can only do that is by getting some bigger players into the game. You know, maybe a great well, way to represent. Big deal. Pardon? Well, maybe a great way to represent that, Augie, I'm sorry for interrupting, is sort of like in the business that you're in, and I know that you do a lot of work with people that are acquiring real estate, investment mm -hmm. real estate, in all different ways and sizes, you understand there's real estate investment trusts that own thousands of properties, right? Mm -hmm. And let's that to the million 1.2 million chairs given away but perhaps one of the most important increments of all of that is doing your first deal is getting your first property so that one chair is symbolic of how much and many of us 
cannot only can only afford to give away one chair. That's one hundred and fifty dollars. Mm -hmm. But that's still critical. And Absolutely. and for those of us that have been blessed to a level to be able to give more and have a tribe around us that can give more, then we can start thinking about multiple chairs and all of that. I just don't want to diminish the single chair because that's where I started. Well, well, we still invite chair. the single chair because it takes 280 single chairs to fill a container. So whether somebody can do one chair, five chairs, 10 chairs, or a whole container, it's all critical. If somebody can do half a chair, that's still a help. You know, I received two donations tell me, tell the other day that added up to one chair. Tell me, tell me your first distribution and just share a little bit of that experience because I'd love you. I've never heard your story about how it impacted you. And I believe it was when we went to Nicaragua, wasn't it? Was it? Nicaragua and probably three, three and a half years ago. And it, I didn't know what to expect. It was my first time going to a third world country, but I knew there were a group of us and I knew a couple of folks that were traveling there. So I figured, well, if we died, we all died together. Oh and, my. You know, you only want to go with your friends, but it turned out to be fabulous. I mean, our partners in country, you know, work with the Rotary Club, the Rotarians were phenomenal hosts. We worked with um, a resort developer called Grand Pacifica and they contributed a lot in country on the ground to help make it a great experience. But what really moved me the most was the physical distribution. We're assembling wheelchairs on the spot uh, at a university in their outdoor basketball arena. And there must've been three or 400 people, many of whom had traveled six, seven, eight, as much as 10 hours sitting in the back of a pickup truck with eight other people in the back of that pickup truck. And, and just the, the gratitude, I mean, this was a family event. You know, here people getting something, you show up and get it yourself. But here entire families came because this was such a special day and such a special gift for the recipient. But it was also, I learned, a special gift to the family because now somebody who had no mobility and had to be physically carried no longer had to be physically carried. They could go to school, they could go to work, they could go outside. Um, and the family didn't need to give them quite as much attention. And this way, other kids who were getting less attention might now get a little bit more attention. So the impact, you know, is more than just a physical gift, you know, of a wheelchair and mobility to one person, but it's a, it's a gift of hope to families and communities. Because I got to visit some of the communities as we did some of the smaller distributions over the last couple of years. And you know, these people are at a level of poverty we in the United States cannot even relate to. And that's, I think, what also moved my heart was to see the joy in these people. If I ever complain, I should be smacked in the head with a two by four about anything. I do not own that right anymore. That was a particularly American right that I gave up when I started to look looking at the fact that I'm not just an American, I am a member of the world's community. And so, you know, I learned a lot from these people and I got so much more than I gave. And so when we participate in this, it's a completely different experience. So oh, you, you mentioned this podcast, I want you to shoot me an email if you want to come on one of our distributions. It is life-changing. Oh, that's fantastic. I, we'd, we'd love you to come. Uh, 
a lot of these distributions, we will have 20, 25 people with us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we travel with that group. It's a great size. Um, it's a little bit of a, uh, a, a it, it's really for people that want to connect with the recipients. Mm -hmm. They understand the charity a little bit better. Um, it's for people that think big, you know, that want to be a big part of this. And uh, it's people like to travel and see different places because it's not all distribution, is it? No, no. We've had an opportunity to see some amazing things outside of the distributions. Uh, our hosts are normally wonderful local guides. And so we've seen volcanoes and we've seen beaches and we've seen beautiful resorts. Um, but we've also gotten to see beautiful natural elements of some of these countries to which we've traveled. And uh, there is great beauty around the world, even in some of the poorest countries. You know, one of the things that I just got back from Mexico and we're setting up another distribution in near Guadalajara and the people inside the country not only are willing to help distribute the chairs, they're now saying, I'm willing to help pay for them. And I think that's, so it's not all about wanting money. Mm -hmm. Certainly that's necessary. Our, our economy is a little bit better than some of these other countries, but um, they want to work and help. What I found it particularly cleansing for me this year is that, is that we're sitting right now through the impeachment hearings in Congress. And it's so nice to be able to go to another country where that's not even worried about. <laughs> it's politics aren't talked about. Um, the needs are far greater than, than these, you know, uh, these happenings in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Needs they're trying to get to. And you just leave all that behind in such an immersive experience for me um, that I don't worry about anything back in the States anymore. I just want to help these people and understand, understand them better and then take that, those memories back home. And because it changes you just a little bit at a time each time you go through one of these trips. Yeah, it's, it's very transformational. There's no doubt about it. So before we wrap up, Glenn, what's the one question that you wanted me to ask you that I haven't? How was I able to marry such a wonderful woman? Oh, that's a great, yeah, that, I'd love to hear that real quick because she is awesome. I think you know, it's funny, it, it's really funny because I've, I've, I've heard this said, and I don't know how true it is, is that is that when they're picking out coaches, especially basketball coaches, for whatever reason, they said that one of the first things they do is they talk to the wife and interview the wife. And they want to see, um, the reason for this is really strange, is that they, they want to understand the wife, and then they say that basically the power of that coach to be able to get this wonderful woman to marry him, in other words, the salesmanship, it translated to his job because his job is have to go in and woo the parents of the recruits that are going to come work for him. So it is basically saying, if you've married up, then chances are you're going to be a good coach because you're going to be able to recruit up and bring great talent to our organization. And, and so if anyone knows my wife, I've really married up. So I would be a good college coach, although that's not what I do, uh, simply based on that criteria. Lloyd and my wife has been wonderful. She's the mother of four children, and uh, we adopted our fourth child, and she called me about adopting the fourth child. That's how big her heart is. And um, she's a registered nurse, and usually that's, there's not a lot of selfish people in that profession. No. So I, I got the right profession, the right person in the profession. We've been married 30 years. 
Um, being that I'm impatient and I have all these other traits, uh, the fact that she's not only stayed with me, but supported me in all my crazy ventures and still continues to is, is amazing. And, and without that, there's nothing that I would have been able to accomplish to anywhere near the level that I have. Well, that, that's great. It's a wonderful story. And we've gotten to travel with you and Lloyda a number of times and we look forward to our future you know, journeys as well. She's, a, she's an absolute delight. And I know my wife, Audrey, loves her dearly. So it, it's, it's wonderful. Uh, well, I want to thank you, Glenn, so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on success by playing full out. And I want to thank everyone out there that is either listening to this podcast or viewing it. And if you do want to make a contribution, you can go to creatingwealthusa.com forward slash wheelchair. And we would love to help you, you know, have your help supporting uh, the mission that we do. And um, other than that, always remember, whatever you're doing, play full out. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll see you again soon.